I want to start out actually not with the text that we're going to land in, but with, with two verses right before it. I want to open to Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to read for you uh, verses 20 and 21, and then that will launch us into chapter 6. Here's what, here's what Paul writes. Listen to these words. He says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, the sin. He says, But where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, now we're going to stop and have a seat. And this passage right here, what it does is it begins with this, this reality that sin, sin was, was exposed by the law in such a way so that we see sin increase. But what it says is that, that grace abounds even more over that. And we're going we're gonna to pull that apart in just a moment, and it's going to lead us to chapter 6. But, but to set some things up for you, I want to I wanna share my experience of when I actually, when I quit my first real job. Now, I've spoken to you guys about this a little bit before, but my first real job, not like, uh, you know, mowing my neighbor's lawn or umping baseball games, but my first real job, it was at, at Albertson's grocery store. And I was hired at Albertson's when I was in high school. And, and I worked at Albertson's through high school. I worked at Albertson's through college. I worked at Albertson's through much of my, my graduate school. And so I spent 11 years working at Albertson's, a lot of time. And, and in that time, you know what you do? You, you build friendships. You get to know people. In that time, uh, I got decent at my job. In fact, I started as a bag boy, as a courtesy clerk, you know, the guy that says, hey, would you like paper or plastic? And they say, can I help you out to your car with this, ma'am? Right? Like that was my very first job, and it was, it was great. And then in time, I, I got transferred to produce. And then in time, I actually became a produce department manager. And, and I managed the produce department for a number of years. And, and so, you know, you learn a lot about the trade. I can tell you a lot about different kind of apples and vegetables and, and how things you can tell they're fresh and all of that, right? In fact, I know how to pick out like a really good watermelon. So if you want to know, let, I, I can show you, right? But, but here's the deal. There came a time when I was going to school and there came a time when I got hired part-time at a church. And so I remember stepping down from being a manager. I, I remember stepping down from working full-time. And then that day came, and it was really a bittersweet day. That day came when I turned in my two weeks' notice, because I was hired into full-time ministry, but, but that meant I had to stop doing this job that had become, it become so much of my life, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, so much part of who I was. And so, so I remember that day came, and, and that day came, and it went, and then two weeks later, I was done. But the deal was, I was working at the closest Albertsons to my house, and so guess where I still shopped? I still shopped at Albertsons. And so I would go to the same grocery store with the same people, but instead of being an employer, instead of being the manager, I would grab my grocery cart, right? Usually put one of my kids in it, right? Like, and start bebopping through the produce department. And, and I couldn't help myself. I mean, you, hey, Bob, Bob, come over here. Hey, man, you, you really got to rotate this better, right? Like, or, you know, I'm walking through and I'm like, hey, hey, oh, there, there's some bruised tomatoes here. I'm just going to put them in my cart. And Oh, look, these bananas, they're too ripe. And I put them in my cart and I'd walk to the back of the apartment. I was like, hey, guys, I just, you know, I culled some bad fruit for you. Here you go. And it's like I couldn't stop living my old life. I wasn't getting paid for it. 
I, I had no authority there. I had zero responsibility there. I owed them nothing, and they expected nothing from me. Yet when I would go there, like it was like, I, I just like this nervous twitch. I couldn't help but walk into my old life. And I tell you that story because I think you've had the exact same experience, haven't you? And your experience is not that you were a produce department clerk and you had to go in and you couldn't help picking up a bruised apple, right? Your experience, just like mine, is you and I, if you were in Christ, if you've, if you've been given a brand new life, we're going to talk about that in a minute, your and my experiences, how often do we find ourselves drawn back to doing those things that are the opposite of God's desire for us. How often have you found yourself drawn back to your old life? See, today what I want us to see as we, as we kind of launch from Romans 5 into Romans 6, today what I want you to see is that new life is yours to walk in. If you've trusted Christ, new life is yours to walk in. You've been given it. It's laid before you, and you can walk in it. Now, I want to do this, like, like I said, by, by picking up where, where Paul left off. You see, Paul, he, he is someone who was, you know, he shared the gospel from city to city, from town to town. He planted church after church. He would preach in public. People would come to faith. Oftentimes, he would probably have debates over this. And, and as he did this, he, he got used to the kinds of questions people asked. And I think the question we're going to see in Romans 6, verse 1, is, it's the kind of question that sometimes we ask when, well, when we're done. You see, our series, our series is I'm done. And we've been talking about how it, oftentimes we get to a spot in our life where externally we're fine. You can put a smile on your face. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. But internally we say, I'm done. I, I hate my life. I'm overwhelmed with the pressures. I'm lonely or I'm, I'm full of guilt or I'm full of shame or I'm depressed or I'm on the very edge of not knowing what to do. We, we, we oftentimes are able to fake it externally, but internally we're done. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've, we've been building. And so I need to review a little bit before we launch into today's message because, because each of these, they build on top of each other. And so on Easter week, we preached kind of a, a strange passage for Easter. We preached the story of Zacchaeus. And we looked at Zacchaeus, this guy who a lot of other stuff was going on, but ultimately he came to the spot where he said he was done and he was willing to be honest about his reality as someone who was a wretched sinner and he was willing to be honest about the reality of Jesus as the Savior. He said, I am not going to ignore reality. That was step one. When you're done, you've got to stop ignoring reality. When you're done, you've got to say, don't ignore reality. And then last week, we looked at the next step. We don't just say, don't ignore reality, and then sit there in your shame. Oh, I'm such a loser. No, what we do then, after we've acknowledged our reality, is we say, outlook determines outcome, and so we turn our eyes to Christ. We say, we're going to look at Christ. And so you know what we did last week? If you weren't here, we basically just bragged on Jesus. 
We said, look at who he is in his person as the sinless, perfect son of God. We said, look at who he is in his passion as the one who is willing to die and pay the price for all of our sins and be buried and resurrected. We said, look at who he is in the prize that he was looking at, the joy that was set before him, the joy of having eternal glory and then sharing it with you and with me. We even looked at Jesus in his position as he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, so far, we've dug to the bottom of our pit and said, let's be honest about who we are. Let's not ignore reality. And then we've said, from there, let's look at Jesus. And now today, it builds on it. Today, we begin to see the real life, everyday, ordinary, day in and day out implications for your life. And what we're going to see is that newness of life is yours to walk in. Newness of life is yours to walk in. Now, this is where we get to that connection between Romans 5 and Romans 6. In in Romans 5, Paul, he explains what the law did. The law showed how, how sinful our sin is. With the law, it made it so our sin or our trespass increased. It basically, it removed the cover and it showed our sin for what it is. And it said, as, as sin increased, you know what? Here's the words it used. God's grace abounds. God's grace is poured over. God's grace far outweighs sin. And so sometimes we get to this moment when we we might ask what could be a logical question. I think someone might have asked Paul this sometimes. They said, okay, Paul, what you're saying is if, if I had a, a huge amount of sin, and, and God, because of my huge amount of sin in Christ, showed an even greater amount of grace, well then, well then, let me ask this question. Romans 6, verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's the question that that he was likely asked, and maybe this is even a question that has gone through your mind before. If God shows more grace, the more sin that exists in my life, even though I'm covered in Christ, well, you know what? I got a great idea. I will sin even more so that God's grace will be poured out even more. And as God's grace is poured out even more on my life, you know what that's going to do? That's going to show even more of God's glory and even more of how God is awesome. What a wonderful idea. That's the, that's the question being asked here. It's, it's like coming to, to a scale. Say, okay, if sin becomes heavier... God shows more grace. And so why not just load up this side of the scale with as much sin as possible so that God's grace and God's glory will be displayed in full force. It's like when I was a young guy, about 20, and my brother-in-law and I, we decided to have an ice cream eating competition. Here's how it worked. He would go back for another scoop, and so I would go back for another scoop. And then he would go back for another scoop, and then I would go back for another scoop. And you want to know how that ended? Painfully. <laughs> Painfully. Ultimately, that's what we say we're doing here. Let's just one-up our sin so God has to one-up his grace, and so ultimately it will one-up God's glory. What is Paul's response to this? 
What, what is the, the right response to this? Should we keep sinning? It, here's his response. It's, it's so insightful. Ultimately, he says this. He says, you have died to your old life. Now, let me show you how he says it. Verse 2. He says, by no means. In, in Greek, this is a strong negation. He says, by no means, or, or may it never be, or, or absolutely not. If you were to ask, should I sin more so God's grace will be seen more, the ultimate answer is, may it never be. And then here's why. Here's why. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? That word died, we're going to flesh that out. Paul actually fleshes it out even more. He does it with some imagery, but let's, let's just start with a baseline understanding. What is he talking about when he says, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? What he means, first of all, is that if you are in Christ, you, you have died to your allegiance to sin. If you are in Christ, you have died to your allegiance to sin. Instead of the asking the question, should I keep sinning? So that God's grace will be seen more? The question the believer asks is, why would I ever keep sinning? Why would I ever go back to that old life? He's saying, you have died to sin. You don't have to sin anymore. Your allegiance to sin and all of the, all of the ways that sin owned your heart. In fact, all of the ways that sin owned your life has been broken. The Bible actually talks about this. It says that if you are outside of Christ, it says that you are a slave to your sinful flesh. Your, your sin owns you. It actually even says that you are a slave to, to the devil himself. It says that he leads you along to do his will. If, if you're here and you're not in Christ, this is true about you whether you realize it or not. Most of us, when I was in that state, I thought I was leading myself along. I thought I was leading myself along to do my will, but, but when I came to realize who Christ is, I'm able to look back and realize I was being deceived the entire time. The scripture even says that you are a slave to the system of this world that has captured you. But, but if you were in Christ, if you were in Christ, you have died to your allegiance to sin. You no longer pledge allegiance to the flag of self, you no longer pledge allegiance to the flag of, Christ, or, or of, or of sin. Your allegiance to that is died. It's died. And not only that, if you are in Christ, sin no longer holds the commanding power over you. Sin no longer owns you. It no longer forces you to do whatever it wants you to do. In fact, listen, if you are in Christ Jesus you no longer have to sin ever again. Let that sink in for just a moment. We're going to expand on this. Paul, he fleshes this out, but I want you to hear this. If you are in Christ, you no longer have to sin ever again. There is no such thing as a Christian saying, the devil made me do it. There's no, long, no such thing as a Christian saying, my, my sinful nature forced me to do it. That power has been broken. Now hear me very clearly. I know you'll still sin, and I know I will. A full understanding of the Scripture, the Scripture says that the one who says they're without sin is, is a liar. 
So let's not take this to the extreme and say, you better not ever sin again or else you're not a real Christian. No, that's not what the scripture teaches. But what it teaches is that the power of sin over your life, the commanding power of sin in your life, it's been broken. It's been broken. It no longer controls you. Now, he develops this. He digs deep into this idea and he does it by using the picture of baptism. Baptism, for those who, who are maybe unaware, baptism is a Christian rite where, where someone gets into the water and, and they are put under the water and is a symbolic image of Jesus' death, Jesus going into the grave. And then they're brought out of the water as, with a symbolic image of the new life they have in Christ, of Jesus' resurrection, and is the ultimate hope for our physical resurrection that will come one day. He uses that imagery and even a bigger meaning beyond it to, to show that you have died to your sinful life. He, he actually says two things about baptism and how you've been baptized. He says you have been baptized into two things. The first thing he says is you have been baptized into Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. Romans 6 verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He says, you've been baptized into Christ Jesus, and you've been baptized into his death. One event, but, but let's separate them. Let's talk about what it means. What does it mean that you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Well, this, this idea that you are in Christ. If you're baptized into Christ, the, the word baptism there, it's actually, it, it's actually what's called the transliteration of the Greek word. A transliteration is not the same thing as a translation. If you translate a word, you take the word from the original language and you use the, the matching word in, in the translated language, right? A transliteration is when you take the letters from the word in the original language and you match those letters to a, mat, uh, to a word in the new language. And so you get kind of a new word. We're very familiar with the word baptism, but you want to know what the translation here would be? You have been immersed into Christ Jesus. Or you have been dipped into Christ Jesus. Or, or even dramatically speaking, you have been plunged into Christ Jesus. This is the idea that your life has been so engulfed and overwhelmed in, in this new allegiance, in this new kingdom, in this brand new identity. So much so that if you are in Christ, when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see your shame. He doesn't see how many times you've messed up. He doesn't see that you were a bonehead right before you came to search. He, he doesn't see any of your sin or any of your guilt. He sees that you and your identity is in his perfect son, Jesus Christ. You have been baptized. You have been immersed. You have been plunged into a brand new identity. That's who you are. In, in fact, the Bible speaks very clearly about that the, there, there, there is one differentiation between all of humanity that matters more than anything else. You know, we're kind of used to a polarized world, right? You turn on the news today and it says, hey, if you're a Democrat, you must hate Republicans, and if you're a Republican, you must hate Democrats. That, that's what we're being kind of force-fed when we turn on the news today, isn't it? So polarized. These are the big categories, 
Or sometimes the categories are, you know what, if you're this color of skin, you have to be opposed to this color of skin. Or if you're this ethnicity, you have to be opposed to other ethnicities. And that's what, that's what our world kind of is teaching us, right? It's, it's kind of like indoctrinating us to think in these terms, in these categories. But you know what, there is one category in Scripture that matters more than anything else. And that category is in Christ or outside of Christ. This is the only category that really matters. This is the only category that matters more than anything else. Are you in Christ? To be in Christ means that you have come to the spot where you have trusted in Jesus. You have trusted in his death and resurrection. You have repented and put your faith in him. In fact, baptism here, Paul's actually not teaching about baptism. He's using the word baptism in a way that encompasses the entire entire moment of coming to Christian faith. He's not just saying you've been been baptized like you went under the water. By baptism here, he's saying that you have repented of your sins, that you have trusted in Jesus, that you have been sealed with his Holy Spirit, and then symbolizing all of that, you have been baptized. That's what he's saying. He's actually talking about the identity of not, not being no longer outside of Christ, but now being in Christ. And you know what? There's not an external way to, to know whether you're in Christ or out, Christ, out of Christ. Because non-Christians act like Christians sometimes, and, and Christians sometimes act like non-Christians. It's kind of like yesterday. I got to the softball field a little bit early. We get out there on the field, and the field we're about to play on, there's two teams playing each other, right? And they're both wearing black jerseys. And I think, this was a terrible idea. <laughs> Right? Like, what team is what? And how do I know who's where? And who's going to what dugout? And it takes me a little bit, and I get a little bit closer, and I start watching, and I realize one team has a black jersey with white numbers, and the other team has a black jersey with, get this, light pink numbers. <laughs> it's like, it's almost identical. There's not an external way to know if you're in Christ or out of Christ. I've often imagined, I wish that there was like some sort of thermometer I can come and put in your ear as a pastor, like, and it beeps, beep, oh, you're in Christ. Someone else's ear, oh, we need to have a conversation, right? There's no way to know. But the marker is your identity. The marker is if you have trusted and repented and been sealed with the Spirit, and then the culmination of that is you have been immersed and baptized. Now, listen, this doesn't mean if you have not been baptized that you're not saved. But it does mean you have not experienced the fullness of your new identity and proclaimed it and demonstrated it. This is why it's such an important thing. You have been baptized in Christ. I love the way Colossians 1 puts it. Colossians 1, it lines out this difference so clearly, not just in the physical realm here on earth, but in the the spiritual cosmos and, and dimension. It says, He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. This, is, this was your domain. This was your allegiance. This was your identity. The domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. You are now in Christ. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So so he says, you've been baptized in Christ. You have died to your sinful life. You've been baptized in Christ Jesus. And then it says, not only that, you have been baptized in his death. You've been baptized in his death. Verse 3 again 
says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This, this means that what Christ experienced physically in his death and burial, everything that Christ experienced physically in his death and burial, you have experienced spiritually through faith in Jesus. You, you, your life has been buried with him. You have been baptized into his death. This is, this is all underlying the point that your life in sin is dead. And by dead, we don't mean almost dead. By dead, we don't mean kind of dead. It's like, it's like my cat. We've got a cat, and it loves to go outside first thing in the morning. And this cat is a hunter. Anybody else have a cat that's a hunter? Okay, so, so here's what our cat does. It likes to bring us little presents every once in a while, right? Goes out in the morning, comes back later in the day, and it will bring a little present. Oftentimes it's a little mouse or something like that or a vole or whatever they are. And, and sometimes it comes and it one, comes in the door before we realize what it has in its mouth and it, it drops its little friend on the ground and it's, it's squirming still, right? It's, it's kind of an exciting moment for the family, by the way, right? Like the dog wants to eat it. The kids are screaming. We're trying to get it out of the house. It's like, what's going on here, right? But, but it's still squirming. It's not dead. It's alive. It's, it's going to be dead soon, but, but it's alive. But sometimes, especially if the cat stays out overnight, we'll come out on that front porch and we'll find its present. And its body's right here and its head's over here. Why do cats do that, by the way? It's dead. It's not moving. It's not thinking. It has no life in it whatsoever. Listen very carefully. Your life in sin. It's dead. It holds no power over you. It holds no control over you. It has no life. If you are in Christ, your life in sin, you have died to your sin. That's, that's what he, he lies, lines out for us. And then he, he goes even deeper. He, he pushes even deeper into verse 4. In verse 4, he's going to talk about this idea that your life is buried. It says your old life was buried, and, and we're going to see it was buried for a purpose. Verse 4, he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, for the purpose that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, see this death, this burial, your life being buried in Christ, it was buried for a purpose. He, let's line out some of these purposes. The first purpose is, it, it was buried so that you could be born again. Jesus actually talks about this. You must be born again. John 3, verse 3, this is Jesus' words. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have no eternal life. You have no kingdom of Christ. You have no promise of the inheritance forever unless you're born again. And, and here's the deal. There's new, no new life without the old life passing away. This is the idea that, that if you trust in Christ, there is meant to be a total and complete realignment of the entirety of your life. 
Hear those words. Let, let this sit with you for a moment. When you trust in Christ, it is meant to be a total and complete realignment of the entirety of your life. This is not the cultured Christian message. Uh, so, for so long, the cultured Christian message is, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and I, and I hang out with Jesus for about an hour and a half on the weekends. But then the rest of my life, I lead it doing whatever I think is best. Listen, if you're in Christ, that life has died. That life is buried. That life is gone. If you have trusted in Christ, or if you're willing to even today, that is meant to be a total and complete realignment of the entirety of your life. Everything. Everything is meant to change in that moment. It's, it's as if we could be so dramatic, if I, could, if I could teleport you, if I could like beam you up, beam me up, Scotty, and if I can teleport you from where you are right now in you know, southwest Washington, and if I can beam you all the way over to the rural areas of Guatemala out in the cornfields. Years ago, I was out in Guatemala serving on mission. And when I was there, it was like nothing I had ever seen cornfields on these hills for as far as you can see. And the houses that people lived in, they were more like little shacks. And it was freezing cold at night and it was super hot in the day. And when we got there, it was after a giant flooding rain. And so the roads, these dirt roads, had these giant ruts all the way through them. And so you could barely drive nothing like getting out here and having to deal with a little pothole, right? And then you go and you talk to someone and you don't know if you're going to be speaking Spanish or the, a different native tongue, everything was different. This is your life now. Listen, this is, this is the life in Christ. When you trust in Jesus, it is not meant to be, I'm going to add a little bit of Jesus to my already full life. When you trust in Jesus, it's not saying, hey, I got 90% of my life figured out, and I'm just going to top it off with a little bit of Jesus it is a complete realignment of everything you are. This is, this is the, the idea that your old life was buried. This is the, meant to be the past event when you trusted in Christ. But, but here's what else. Here's the other purpose. Your old life was buried so that you will be raised. This is the promise, kind of the subtle promise in verse 4. It says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You know, it, it's not directly taught here, but it's hinted at. What's hinted at here is, is the future hope of the Christian life that you will be raised like Jesus was raised. Now, I like to compare this with thinking about the resurrected body you will have with the the fragile body you have right now. I mean, I, I was at the softball fields and the baseball fields almost all week. Yesterday we had a long day and then I preached and I got home from preaching and I just told Jess, I said, Jess, my legs are done. <laughs> they were done. It didn't help that they're like beet red on the back because I didn't put sunscreen on, right? But I, I was done, right? How about you? You have some pain once in a while? You, you sore? Do you have injuries? I know some of you, you've got pain because I hear you when you get up from these chairs. You don't know that I can hear you, but some of you, you make these noises when you get up. You're like, oh, it's just so natural, right? 
you, you realize one day that pain's going to be gone. One day you're going to have a resurrected and completely healed body. You're going to have a, a body that won't tire, that won't be sore. You're going to have a body that is raised just like Jesus is. You know what you're going to do with that body? You're not going to go to the baseball field and hit a 400-foot dinger. You know what you're going to do? You're going to raise those hands. And you're going to raise that voice. And you're going to give glory to the one who made it all possible. <laughs> you know what you're going to do with that body? You're going to fall to the floor. You're going to lay out flat. And you're going to praise God because he is worthy of all glory and honor. This is the future hope that you have as someone who has died to your life of sin. This is part of why you were buried. You were buried, your old life is gone, so that you have this hope of a future resurrected body. But not only that, this text it actually is aiming at, not at the past and not at the future, but this text ultimately is aiming you at the present life experience right now. Your old life was buried. Why? So that you can be new. Listen to the end of verse 4. It says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, here it is, we too might walk in the newness of life. That we too might walk in the newness of life. This is the present experience of the Christian life. This is your calling to walk in the newness of life. I love the way 2 Corinthians 5, 17 puts it. It says this, it says, Therefore, if anyone is, here, here's those words, in Christ. In fact, I want you to say those words with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Let that sink in. Say it again with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old has died. The old is buried. It says, behold, the new has come. This is true of you right now, present tense, in this moment, if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ. See, see let me let you behind the scenes a little bit. This series, I'm done this is actually my battle plan for how I fight the sin in my life. This is my battle plan. If we were going to war and we were going to pull out a map and we were, we were going to draw up a strategy and a battle plan, this is my battle plan, and I've been using it for years. This is how I battle sin, because guess what? I still sin. So do you. Let's just be clear. No one here has to fake it like we're perfect. And so as I battle sin, and I have those moments in my life when I have a temptation or even a failure. And those moments in my life when my, my pride flares up or my anger gets the best of me. Those moments in my life when maybe there's a lustful image that wants to draw my attention or I'm just being just outright selfish. Here's what I do. The first thing I do, D, don't ignore reality. In that moment, I go to the Lord and I'm honest about what's going on inside of me. Sometimes I go to a friend. Sometimes I go to my wife. He, here's what's going on inside of me. Here is the reality of my wretchedness and my sinfulness. Oh, on Christ I look. 
I don't keep my eyes on my temptation. I intentionally, sometimes forcefully preach the gospel to myself, and I turn my attention to Jesus, who he is, the perfect sinless son of God, what he's done, died to pay the price for my sin, resurrected to give me new life, and then end. New life is mine to walk in. Here's what I do. In that moment, I picture, I picture a fork in the road. You guys know a fork in the road? walking down the road and you get to this spot where you say, I've got to turn this way or I've got to turn this way. And my temptation is luring me this way. And in that moment, I remember that I have a new path laid out before me. This path is actually described lots of places in Scripture. One of them is Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. It says, it says put off the old self. Why? Because it's dead. Put off the old self. Why? Because it's buried. Put off the old self. Why? Because it holds no control and no power over my life whatsoever. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Think different. I have a new life ahead of me. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know what that crossroads moment usually looks like for me? It looks like turning away from my pride or my anger or my selfishness and turning toward Christ and what he would have me do in those moments. It's usually a humbling moment. It's usually a moment where I choose to walk in what we taught this last year, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That tends to be the hardest one. (laughs) And self-control. What path am I going to walk? Pride, anger, lust, selfishness, or the Spirit-led new life. See, new life is yours to walk in. This, this change reminds me of the, the Chronicles of Narnia. If you've ever read them, in this third story, the, the Voyage of the Dawn Trader, there's one of my favorite characters. His name's Eustace. Anybody familiar with him? Maybe you've seen the movie or you've read the book. Eustace, at the beginning of this story, he is what you would call an insufferable child. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is about as selfish as you can get. He's snotty. He's a, he's a pill. In, in fact, uh, he likes having his cousins over to his house only so that he can pick on them. When our kids, when we read it together, oftentimes I'll say, hey, if my kids are being a, kind of not obeying well, I'll say, hey, stop being a Eustace, right? It's kind of a derogatory term. But, but you know what? Through a series of events and adventures, Eustace falls on some really difficult times. I'm not going to spoil it all for you. You can read it. But eventually, he comes in contact with the lion, Aslan, who is the Christ character of the story. And Aslan, you know what Aslan does? Aslan, he makes him new. It's actually, uh, the imagery is, is of Aslan claws through him to get to the very core of a new life. And his old life is gone, and his new life begins. And actually, in later stories, and even later in that book, Eustace, instead of being a bully, he's brave. 
Eustace, instead of being completely selfish, you see him being selfless in serving others. There's actually times where I'll tell my kids, hey, you're being a Eustace in the good way. What kind of Eustace are you being? What, what kind of life are you living? Are you living your old life? Are you living like someone who has not died to your sin? Are you living like someone who is outside of Christ? Or are you living in Christ? See, this newness of life, it's been given to you. So walk in it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for, for this reality of what's been done for us. God, we didn't make ourselves new. There's no way we can. We, we didn't wash our sins away, but, but you have done it completely through Jesus and his death and resurrection. And God, we admit that we're kind of like that guy that walks through the produce department and still does his old job sometimes. We get pulled back into our old life. We find temptation around certain corners of our lives and and, and we find that it lures us into acting in ways that, that aren't honoring to you. And so today, Lord, we, we come to you confessing first and foremost that we were weak and we need your help. Father, we come to you turning our eyes to Jesus and remembering everything he's done for us through his death and resurrection, remembering ultimately that he, he has made us brand new. We don't have to walk in our old life. We don't have to be bound by sin. We have died to our sin. And so, Father, I pray today for every brother and sister in this room in their battle against sin that they would see, that they would, they would know, that they would even feel that they have a new life to walk in. I pray that they would walk, they would do just that, that they would walk in it. Lord, I pray for those who are here that maybe are still on the fence about Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone here or even watching that is yet to say, I need to trust in Jesus and his death and resurrection, I need to repent and believe, I need your spirit, and I need to be baptized. If there's anyone and that's where they are, I pray today that you would give them such a burden of heart that they would trust, that they would turn. And as they do, that they would have this overwhelming flood of grace wash over the entirety of their life so that instead of feeling like they're done and they're hopeless and they're helpless, they would feel the joy and peace that come freely with the gospel. And I pray that they would rejoice in their new life. And we pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful and glorious name. Amen. What love, my God, would bring you down to earth? What king would take a low and lonely birth? Yet to this dark and broken place you came to sleep beneath the stars that you had made.
What love, my God, would send the way of life To walk the road rejected and despised That you might know the weakness I possess And be my rock of strength and righteousness Would you stand with me as we sing? Oh, your love, my God, like a flood As heaven opened up, pouring out on us Oh, praise the King who came to the world In his love, like a mighty flood What love, my God, could hold you to the tree To bear that overwhelming debt for me The Son of Heaven leaves the Father's side The healer bleeds, the life was made to die your love, my God, like a flood, as heaven opened up, pouring out on us. Oh, praise the King who came to the world in his love like a mighty flood. What love, my God, so gracious and extreme Was strong enough to come and fight for me To go through hell and down into the grave And raise me up to see you face to face You raise me up to see you face to face Oh, your love, my God, like a flood As heaven opened up, pouring out on us Oh, praise the King who came to the world his love like a mighty flood let's lift our voices your love oh your love my god like a flood as heaven opened up pouring out on us oh praise the king who came to the world in his love like a mighty flood in his love like a mighty flood
I'm so thankful that we got to be together today. I pray that this message really is a message of hope to you. I pray that you see the path laid out before you and the newness of life that you have been given in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you, you walk in it. As you do, I pray it finds, you find joy and hope. And, and the last thing I'll say about this is, is I hope you come back next week. We've kind of been building D-O-N-E. We're, we're going to finish the series next week with, with the E, and I'm not going to tell you what it is so that you'll come back. But, uh, but Andrew's actually going to finish our series by preaching on that, and so I hope you come back. We are going to conclude our service with, uh, with one more song. We're going to receive offerings as well. And so if you have an offering you want to give physically or even a connection card, you can put them in these buckets in the front. There's also buckets by the door over there. And I know many of you are giving online. And so thank you just for the way you support the ministry and mission of Valley so that we can do everything that God has called us to do. Well, let's pray one more time. Great God in heaven, we, we just praise you today for so many reasons for, for this wonderful gathering of friends and family, for the, the sun shining, for, for the newness of life we have in Christ through his death and resurrection. Above all, we praise you that you love us. And you've, you've given us all of this hope that we have in this new life that we get to walk in. Lord, help us to walk in it. Help us to, to remember every day that we've died to our sin and we've been freed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.